chapter 3. If you would turn back there with me. We saw this morning the very important passage of God's judgment issued on the serpent, the promise of Satan's defeat, the promise of a serpent slayer, a Messiah to come, the first gospel word in the Scriptures. A very important passage. Tonight we move on to look at the judgment that God issued to the woman and to the man. And uh, please understand, this affects each and every one of us. We as human beings, this is our story that we're learning about, uh, beginning with our first parents. And so I want to begin reading in Genesis chapter 3, and I'm going to read beginning in verse 14. Verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field, On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband." And he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Um, Tonight's subject is not a pleasant one. Uh, We are looking at how the fall uh, brought curses on humanity. Uh, You and I as Christians can read these curses in light of Christ and know that He has promised that He is one day going to bring us to a new earth where these curses will no longer be present. Uh, We also can read this aware that Jesus is our ever-present help in trouble, and so He bears us up by His grace and helps us persevere through this world in which uh, we live today, in which these curses are in effect. And so for Christians, we can read these verses with a sense of optimism, with a sense of joy. We do know the rest of the story. Uh, We can see how ultimately these curses serve to increase our happiness, how ultimately they serve to glorify God. Uh, And yet, mixed with that optimism uh, is the sheer reality of the fall, that it was a tragedy, and that these curses speak of the pain and of the suffering experienced by every human being that has ever lived. And so in that sense, these are very uh, unpleasant verses, but... They are very important verses. So we don't skip over them. We don't pretend they're not in the Bible. We study them. We learn from them. Augustine wrote in his book, The City of God, about how the fall has changed everything. I want you to listen as I read from him. I want you to hear what he is saying. And I want you to be reminded 
of what has happened to what was once our perfect paradise that has now become a sin-riddled world heading for destruction. Listen to what Augustine says. Who can describe and who can conceive the number and severity of the punishments which afflict the human race? Pains which are not only the accompaniment of the wickedness of godless men, but are a part of the human condition and of the common misery. What fear and what grief are caused by bereavement and mourning. How many of us have been touched by death in our own lives and families? What fear and what grief are caused by losses and condemnations, by fraud and falsehood, by false suspicions and all the crimes and wicked deeds of other men. We spent a good part of Wednesday night's prayer meeting talking about fear in our own area because of crimes that have been committed here recently. Augustine continues, For at their hands we suffer robbery, captivity, chains, imprisonment, exile, torture, mutilation, loss of sight, the violation of chastity to satisfy the lust of the oppressor and many other dreadful evils. What numberless casualties threaten our bodies from without. Extremes of heat and cold, storms, floods, inundations, lightning, thunder, hail, earthquakes, houses falling or from the stumbling, or shying, or vice of horses, or in our day we would talk about automobile accidents, from countless poisons and fruits, water, air, animals, from the painful or even deadly bites of wild animals, from the madness which a mad dog communicates, so that even the animal, which of all others is most gentle and friendly to its master, becomes the object of intenser fear than a lion or dragon. And the man, whom it has to be chance infected with this pestilential contagion, becomes so rabid that his own parents, his wife, his children, dread him more than any wild beast. These were the days before rabies shots. What man can go out of his house without being exposed on all hands to unforeseen accidents. Returning home, sound in limb, he slips on his own doorstep and breaks his leg and never recovers. What can seem safer than a man sitting in his chair? Yet Eli the priest fell from his and broke his neck. Augustine continues for three times that length, describing our world today and all the dangers and um, effects that the curse has brought into our world. On the face of it all, there is a lot to fear about living in this world. We cannot control the actions of others. Someone may break into our house tonight, tie us up, steal our possessions, or worse, kill us and our families. We do not know when a nation will send a nuclear weapon our way. We do not know when some new disease like the swine flu could attack with great strength, as many think could happen come fall and do us great harm. Hurricane season coming up. 
We're coming up on the 10th anniversary of the worst flood this region has seen in recent memory. And we don't know when the next flood like that will come. We have to get into our cars tonight. We don't know when some drunken driver may unexpectedly hit us head on. Justin, are you trying to frighten us? No, I'm not, I'm not trying to frighten you. I'm trying to show you why if you were not a Christian, you might would have some reasons to be frightened. What if Alzheimer's comes upon you and you forget the dear ones that you love? What if dementia causes you to say and do despicable things? What if a depression comes upon you with such intensity that it's like a dark cloud that comes over you and it will not lift until you're almost ready to end your own life. I say all of this to help you see that you and I are not ultimately in control of this world and that suffering and death of all kinds can come upon us quickly and unexpectedly. Living in this world, the world that in some ways can be really terrifying can be a fearful thing and sin is the reason and we have Christ and so that that tempers that that balances that we'll talk about that in a second but I want us to understand that sin is not some small thing and that we should never act as if rebelling against God is is little there's no such thing as a little lie or a little act of dishonesty a little act of immorality. It's it's not like that. There are huge consequences to sin. And if nothing else will prompt us to pursue holiness, we're not looking around and seeing the consequences of sin in our very lives and in this very world. But our God is in control. And our God says to us, do not be afraid. Do not worry. Because not even death can separate you from my love. God will care for us. And there is no no reason to fear when you're in Christ. But we should marvel at how our sin in the garden has utterly transformed this paradise into a place of much pain, suffering, and strife. Well, that's what the curse on the woman and the curse on the man are all about. I want us to look at these as we do. I ask that you keep in mind that God is good and righteous and that we are the ones who chose this. We brought this on. We brought these curses on ourselves. We sinned against the holy God. God is slow to anger. In fact, <laughs> there was only one act that could be committed to provoke Him. <laughs> he came to Adam and said, I give you everything. There's only one thing that would provoke my anger. And we did the one thing. We took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we chose to align ourselves with the serpent instead of living in the joyful paradise God had given us. And so friends, humanity is not a victim of these curses. We deserve these curses. They are just. And so thank God for Jesus who brings us deliverance. The curse on the woman. Let's begin there first curse that is issued to the woman is pain in procreation and parenting. We read, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Now notice that there's two 
parts to that. There's the word pain the first time. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. And then there's the word pain again. In pain you shall bring forth children. These two words for pain are different words and they do not refer to the same thing. The first word pain in that first line is a Hebrew word. It's only used three times in the Bible and they're all here in the first five chapters of Genesis. But the root of the word refers not primarily to physical pain although that can be a part of it, it refers primarily to emotional, mental anguish, worry, and anxiety. The kind of pain being talked about, the first word pain being talked about, has to do with emotional, mental pain. And this is important because the word for childbearing, see it, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, is in the Hebrew the word not actually for delivering a child, but the word for conception. It is the word conceiving, conception, in the Hebrew language. And so the first line is about the anguish, the the emotional and mental pain that will now accompany women as they seek to give birth, as they seek to conceive a child. Later in Genesis, we'll see all about uh, women who really struggle uh, in their hearts as they seek to bear children, as they seek to become pregnant. The second line uses a more common word for pain, a word that refers to hard, strenuous work. And this does refer to labor, to delivery. Um, This pain will be felt by uh, mothers as they bring forth children. Now, I, I think that phrase, bring forth, has a double meaning. I do think it means that, 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 that there will be hard, laborious work felt by the mother as she delivers a child. Uh, there is pain in delivery, uh, but I would also suggest that the pain here uh, and the pain of those hours of giving birth is just a picture of the pain that will accompany the mother as she seeks to bring forth that child into adulthood and into maturity. There is the bringing forth of a child in a mother's labor. There is the bringing forth of that child through the years of teaching and training and disciplining. And so as I understand it, this first curse on the woman is a curse on the whole parenting enterprise. Begins with the pain that many mothers have in conceiving a child. And this is important because the bearing of children was one of the key distinctions between the man and the woman. And so this curse strikes at the very uh, heart of womanhood. But this curse then stretches through the trials of pregnancy. It stretches to delivery. It stretches to the actual parenting of the child. The whole concept of being a mother is affected by the curse. And just a few weeks back, we named, we listed many of the very challenges and obstacles and kinds of suffering that uh, a woman can experience in that regard. I'm not going to rehearse all those again. Uh, you know what they are. Rather, let me just remind us that though, that through, I'm sorry, let me remind you that though this is the judgment that we have brought on ourselves, God has been gracious and He offers help to suffering women in Jesus Christ. Jesus does not promise to take the pain away. Jesus never promises that He will grant conception or an easy pregnancy. He does not promise that both mother and child will survive the process. Thousands of years, how many mothers died in the process of seeking to bear a child. But what Jesus has promised is that He will hear our 
prayers for help. And He will not leave us and He will not forsake us. He has promised to give the grace necessary so that hurting women can persevere in and through tough trials. He gives those who trust Him His Holy Spirit, the Comforter. And the Spirit of Christ is able to bring hurting women joy even in the midst of suffering. That Jesus will one day destroy this cursed world. He'll one day make all things new. But until that day, my prayer is that every woman in this room will trust Christ to provide for you all you need till your appointed death day comes. The first curse is on mothering, parenting, childbirth. The second curse issued to the woman strikes at marriage. It is the promise of strife in marriage. We read, Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, the key word there is is desire. Um, Why would it be bad for a woman to desire her husband? Why is that a result of the curse? Don't, Don't we want wives to desire their husbands just as we would want husbands to desire their wives? What's what's the meaning of this word desire? Well, the word desire here is not speaking of a good desire, a desire for fellowship with the husband or for intimacy with the husband or for a, a working together with the husband or the protection and provision of the husband. Rather, this word desire is used in a very negative way. It's a desire to master the husband. It's a desire to rule over the husband. Because of the fall, wives will no longer be thankful for the leadership of their husbands, but will have in their hearts a desire to usurp his leadership. Where do I get that? I get it from Genesis chapter 4, verse 6 and verse 7. Look at me at verse 6. Genesis 4, verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's what? Desire is for you, but you must what? rule over it. It's almost a parallel phrase of what was just said in chapter 3. Well, what was sin's desire for Cain? Was sin's desire to have fellowship with Cain in a nice way? No. Sin's desire was to, was to gain control over Cain. Sin's desire was to master Cain, to take over Cain, to bring him into sinful living. And God says to Cain, you cannot let it. It wants to rule over you, but you must rule over it. Well, that's the meaning of the word desire. In fact, it's the same Hebrew word used here in Genesis 3. And so there is this natural desire in wives to usurp their husbands. Because of the fall and sinfulness in the human heart, wives will now seek to rule over their husbands rather than remaining within the created order that God established. Rather than being the treasure of the husband, the helper, the one provided for, the one loved and protected, she would rather take his role as her own. Selfishness and prideful ambition entered the heart of every human being at the fall. But for wives, those particular sins will find expression in this desire to usurp the husband. And so I would ask the wives of this room, what does this look like in your life? How do you see this sin seeking to rear its head in your life? 
some women seek to rule over their husbands overtly, especially if the husband is a weak man whose own selfishness and desire for ease has caused him not to take the initiative in leading and protecting and providing for his family. In some marriages today, it almost appears as if a reversal has taken place so that the wife is now the leader and the husband is now the helpmate. But most wives aren't quite that overt. Rather, most are prone to usurp the authority of their husbands in a more subtle way. By knowing their husbands well enough and then using that knowledge to manipulate their husbands with words and with actions. Many of these wives feign as if they are happy to have their husband as the leader of the home, but at the same time, they've learned just what to say and just what to do to get their husbands to do what they please. They've learned how to pull the strings of their husbands in the right way. Well, God says that in spite of this desire, this wicked sinfulness in the hearts of wives, the husband will still rule over the wife. He shall rule over you. Husbands will rule in their marriages. Um, They may rule well. They may rule very badly. Uh, They may be so selfish and so lazy that they practically hand over the reins of leadership to the wife. But even then, it is the action of the man that sets the tone for the family and encourages the wife's sin. And so ultimately, whether a man likes it or not, he is the head of the family. And so what we have here in Genesis 3 is the beginning of all marital strife. Sinful husbands and sinful wives, unable and unwilling to love one another as God had prescribed. Men failing to serve, sacrifice, and cherish their wives. Wives failing to respect and submit to their husbands. Thankfully in Jesus Christ, we have been promised that by grace we can recover true God-honoring marriage as it was meant to be in the beginning. We can know the joy of the blessing that God intended for us to receive as a wonderful gift from His hands. We need to learn from Christ's Word what true marriage looks like. He instructs us there, and we need to pray for Christ's grace that He would give us the hearts and the wills we need to have happy and holy marriages. So we've seen the curse on parenting. We've seen the curse on marriage. And now we come to look at the curse that was given to the man. Um, If you think back to what we've already learned, you will remember that man, male and female, that mankind was created to exercise dominion over the world. And we talked about what that dominion included. This exercise of dominion was to include work, which is why God created a work week with a seventh-day Sabbath and all of those things. So there was to be work as man exercised dominion, but then there was also to be fruitfulness, the, the, the bearing of children, procreation, be fruitful and multiply. Well, the curse on the woman hit at the heart of that part of exercising dominion. The be fruitful and multiply has now become harder. It has now become uh, um, hindered by the curse. Well, now the curse on the man hits at the other part of exercising dominion, the work, the bringing forth of greater beauty and order in this earth by using the abilities that God has given us to work with His creation. Now that is also hindered by the curse. The curse on the woman 
curses her at that primary role which God created her to fulfill. Helpmate to the husband, particularly as it relates to the family. But the man is cursed in that primary role which God created him to fulfill. His calling as a steward, as a husband, both of his family and as of the earth itself. That's what a husband is. He's a steward. These verses reflect the man's role as one called to work the earth and bring beauty and order to it. Ultimately, what we are seeing here is that the curse strikes directly at the very purpose for which God created man. We were given a good and perfect and joyful purpose. And when we sinned, the curse comes on that purpose and makes it so much harder and much more difficult. The first curse issued to the man is that of pain in his work. We read, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. Here God is declaring that man's work which to this point had been an activity of great joy and pleasure, will now become more difficult. It will now be done in pain and toil. And only through pain and toil will man be productive. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, God says. You see, not only has man's relationship with God been broken, not only has man's relationship with his wife been broken, But now, even man's relationship with creation, with nature, has been broken so that even the earth now resists the dominion of sinful men. In Christ, man can find the grace to endure and persevere in productive labor for the glory of God. As Christians, we must trust our Savior. We must learn from His Word about how to work well in a world where work has been cursed. And we ought to pray for His help. When we do, we can once again view work as a positive thing, a way to imitate God and honor Him and to use those gifts and abilities He has given us. There's a popular song in the 60s. Maybe some of you will remember it included these words. The song said, Up every morning just to keep a job. I have to fight my way through the hustling mob. Sounds of the city pounding in my brain as another day goes down the drain. It's a five o'clock world when the whistle blows. No one owns a piece of my time. goes on to say, That's why I live for the end of the day. Well, that's the attitude of the world often towards work. I have to waste so much of my day. I have to send so much of my life down the drain doing this work, and I live for that other part of my life. Well, the other part of our lives is important. We should truly enjoy and care about worship and family time and other things, but we are also, as Christians, to find pleasure in working hard for the glory of God and the vocations which He has given to us. We are not to share in the attitude of the world. Now, yes, work has become hard. It has become cursed. It's our our fault. We brought that on ourselves. But we now have help through Christ. Christ, the one who 
was the example of doing his job well. Now, we've, we've talked about this extensively. We talked about work a lot in the last few weeks, and so uh, I'm not going to go on and on about it again. I do want to mention one aspect of this theme that I haven't mentioned before, and that's this. Uh, as we Christians who now have help through Jesus Christ, as we as Christians work hard and work well for God's glory in a culture that is often lazy, that is often unethical, we need to be careful about pride. Here's a proverb you should know. Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. This proverb says that as a general rule, people who work hard, people who become skillful at what they do will be recognized by the society around them. People who work hard will stand before kings. And since Christians are called, despite the curse, through the grace that Christ provides to work hard and to work well, it ought to be a very common thing for us to hear about a believer in Christ being recognized for their good workmanship, for their skill, for their goodness at what they do in their vocation. Yet when that happens, we need to be quick to squash our pride and to make sure that we give the glory where the glory is due to Christ. Is He who gives us the hearts and wills to keep working even when it's hard? It is He who gives us what we need to apply ourselves well to our work? It is He who instructed us not to be lazy, but who gave us a pattern to imitate of working well? And so as we work in this cursed world, as we persevere through obstacles and trials and thorns and thistles that make our labor difficult, let us do so depending on Christ with a humble heart, quick to give Him the glory for what He is doing in us. Are you with me? Christians are a witness to the world, partly because in Jesus Christ, we are able to rise above these curses. Now, we're still affected by them. We still live in a cursed world. And yet, by His grace, we are able to live through these curses in a way that ought to gain or garner the attention of the world around us. Worldly marriages, the marriages of unbelievers, will be uh, characterized by strife, as we saw in the curse on the woman. But Christian marriages that now have the help of the Holy Spirit and the teaching of the Bible and the teaching of the, of the body of Christ around them with its encouragement and, and admonition, those Christian marriages should not be characterized by strife. Christian marriages should be characterized by peace and by uh, unity, by love, by sacrifice, by joy. And that can happen because of Christ. And so the world, with all of their broken, falling apart marriages, ought to be able to look at Christians and say, Why are their marriages seem so much different? Now, it's really a sad commentary on Christianity in America that most worldly folks look at Christian marriages and say they look just like ours, don't they? But it ought not to be that way. Similarly, parents in our world struggle with all of the difficulties of raising children, having children, and Christians will struggle with that as well. But we have the help of Christ. We have His Word, we have His presence, we have His people. And so we ought to be able to set an example in that regard and persevere through the difficulties of parenting to show others what a Christian family looks like. 
the same time, Christian workers are to rise above the obstacles and the hardships and the thorns and thistles and to set the example. We, we all know what it's like to, uh, to be working hard and it just seems like one frustrating thing happens after another, right? I mean, for this, this hasn't happened to me in a long time, but as a preacher, I mean, most of what I do is writing sermons on the computer. Have you ever had the experience where you work for hours and you get something finished and about the time you get it finished, you lose it all? Right? And you have to start all, and that's, it's frustrating. It's aggravating. That's a part of trying to do work in a cursed world. But how do we respond when that happens? Right? Do we respond as unbelievers would? Do we, do we curse? Do we, do we become distracted or distressed? Do we just get fed up with it and go you know, become gluttonous or something to, to ease our minds? Well, what do we do? Or do we respond with patience and say, Lord, this has happened, but you give me the grace to continue? I'll type it all over again. Um, we are to set an example. In all these ways, our Savior is seen for who He is. He is one who endured suffering, gave his life for others, and fulfilled his sacred calling to perfection. The glory of Jesus Christ is seen in us as we live differently than unbelievers in this cursed world. Well, the final curse that is given to the man, and indeed is given to all humanity, is that of physical death. Spiritual death has already come. Spiritual death affected Adam and Eve the very moment they sinned. God had said to them, in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And the moment Adam and Eve ate of that fruit, they died spiritually. But that death affected not only their soul, but it also ultimately affected their physical bodies. Adam and Eve will live for years after this incident but their bodies will now begin to slowly degenerate and fall apart until their appointed time of death comes. God says, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Sin has affected this natural world, and our bodies are a part of that natural world, and our bodies will die. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Every physical ailment, every sickness, every cancer or injury you've ever known is the result of your body being frail and headed towards decay. And this is what sin does. Sin brings death. The wages of sin is death. Now Christ took on human flesh. His human flesh was a part of this natural world. Jesus took on a body that was affected by the curse. It was not a sinful body, but it was a body in this cursed world. And therefore, it was headed for death, just like ours. Jesus could experience physical pain, and indeed he did. And he could die, and he did. And yet when Jesus rose, he rose with an, a new body. Or better yet, he rose with the same body, renewed, made different, perfected and he was the first fruits of the new creation if you're a christian your soul has already been made new right your soul is no longer still dead you've been born again you have a new soul but you are a new soul living in an old body you are a new creation living in an old creation body and yet 
when Jesus comes back to earth, your old creation body is going to be resurrected from the dead, unless you're still living, in which it would just be changed right then. But your body is going to be resurrected and perfected. And you will, your body, just like your soul, will be freed from the curse. No more sickness, no more pain, no more physical death. And we will be free from the curse forever. I'm about to close the message. It's a shorter message tonight. I knew it would be. I want to ask you this. Do you see the irony and the of do you see the irony and the justice of God's punishments on the man and the woman? Do you see how the punishment fits the crime? They sinned by eating, so now they will have to toil in sweat and pain in order to have food to eat. Eve led her husband into sin. Now her desire to be the leader will be a cause of marital suffering. Eve helped bring forth sin into the world. And so now bringing forth children will be painful and difficult. Man wanted to be like God, taking what God had and we did not. But now man, rather than becoming like God, will return to the dust. And so each punishment is appropriate for the crime that was committed what we see is that our God is just. So, what should be in our hearts, what should be in our minds as we leave this place this Lord's Day evening? First, that sin is heinous and brings terrible consequences. Got it? Sin is terrible, brings heinous consequences. Second, that God is just and His punishments are right. Third, God is merciful and He has given Jesus to bring help in this cursed world to any who will repent and trust in Him. Finally, we should leave remembering how deeply we need Jesus every moment of every day. We need Jesus not only for heaven and to escape this cursed world, but we need him as we live in this cursed world. Don't we? It's true what Augustine said. You could trip and fall on your doorstep, on your way to your house tonight, and be paralyzed for the rest of your life. What's going to get you through that? What's going to get you through that? It's depending on Christ. Depend on Him for salvation. Depend on Him for help and strength as we live out our lives in this cursed world. We need to be people of prayer, don't we? We need to be a people who actively depend on Christ. Are there any questions about things that were said this morning or things that were said this evening?